Hey there, everyone. It's that magical time of the year where leftover turkey sandwiches abound, the halls are being decked, and Chris and I change things up with the show and create enchanting playlists of various music for each other. This week, we aren't diving into any particular album, but we are asking the important questions, as always. You know, like, what's the best Thanksgiving leftover? Uh, that and many more like it. Like, we'll get into that in a moment. But we ask the most important question. You know, like, what is the best Christmas music? And what makes it the best? Today, on Two Dudes and Tunes. Two Dudes and Tunes, the show where two dudes get into the holiday spirit and dive deep into the meaning of the season. I'm Wood, one of the dudes, and as almost always, I'm joined by my good friend and holiday-loving companion, Chris. Chris, describe your ideal ugly sweater design for me. So I think I, I think my favorite ugly sweaters are the the like kind of Walmart ironic ones <laughs> mm-hmm. that are like either pop culture referencing or, you know, like Santa like stuck in the chimney with his legs, like mm-hmm. sticking out of, you know, something dumb like that. I think mine would have to be like the, the bridge of the enterprise. Oh, I know yeah. that's like super nerdy, but like captain Picard with like a mug of hot chocolate or something and world gray tea. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's Christmas. Nobody drinks Earl gray tea, but something really dorky like that. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if such a thing exists, but I want it to. Uh, so if you're in the ugly Christmas sweater business out there in two dudes and tunes, fan base land, please, uh, get cracking, make it. So as, (laughs) make it so. uh, Sir Patrick Stewart would say, what about you? What is your ideal ugly Christmas sweater? So the favorite one I've ever had, uh, and I've had multiples, uh, but my personal favorite has to be uh, a very vintage looking 1980s style, like hand knit sweater that was not hand knit. It was definitely machine knit, but it had the look. Uh, And it says uh, Nakatomi Plaza Christmas party, 1988 on it oh yes and um love it so that's not foreshadowing anything to the greatest christmas movie of all time and where i fall on no, that list certainly but not <laughs> it is so great and so i love that one but i think the funniest one i've ever seen actually happened last year at my brother and sister-in-law's ugly christmas sweater party uh that they host mm-hmm. every year in which my brother had bought just like a pullover Rocky style sweatshirt, like just a really cheap Rocky style, you know, getting ready to run up those stairs mm-hmm. and yeah. uh shadow box the sun. And uh, he had pictures of all of his friends at the Christmas party ironed onto it. So his ugly sweater was that... pictures of all of his friends. Greatest oh, ugly sweater I've ever seen. <laughs> and it costs like $3. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah yeah that, that is literally a trip to the mall to get the them to like do the iron on shtick 
That is so funny. It was funny because he kept it so secret. Everybody was like hinting at what theirs were, what theirs was going to be. And they were, they were having a a raffle, like a competition for who had the best would get, you know, a $50 gift card Uh, or whatever. And Steve would not say anything about it. And then he popped that thing out and it was amazing. (laughs) Everybody just gave him the money. They were like, we're not even taking a vote. Uh, So yeah. There, there is something special about those ugly Christmas sweaters. I have one that uh, I got. I think Megan and I got it for some ugly sweater party that we went to when we were first married. And I don't know what they make those things out of, but they are remarkable mm-hmm. because they keep you far too warm indoors. Mm-hmm. But when you step out of doors. Worthless. Mm-hmm. They provide no, it's a miracle of modern science. They provide no insulation, whatever. They are itchy and cold outside, hot inside. I don't know what makes them that way, but. And if you even breathe on them, they unravel. Like forget dragging it across something. They're, they're worthless for that. And mine, I think, I think if I remember correctly, Megan and I went to a thrift store to find mine and. I couldn't find a uh, a men's sweater, and so mine is a ladies' Christmas sweater, and it's got the like lacy collar yes. where it's not real lace, but it's got the like humps of like a lace like collar. It's fantastic. It's unfortunately not very funny. It's just like a pastoral scene of like a farmhouse <laughs> in Christmas, but it's ugly, so it counts. Megan's oh. Megan's ugly sweater. I I really like it because it's actually kind of functional. It it looks like a a Santa, you know, like Santa's get up, right? Like mm-hmm. it's red. It's got the fluff around the neck or whatever. It's got two fake mittens sewn onto the like front part mm-hmm. so that you can stick your hands in them or and it Christmas looks like treats. Yeah, yeah, or Christmas treats. Um, and it's also got a hood. Ooh. It's got a functioning hood. So I think her ugly Christmas sweater is actually kind of comfortable, uh, which cool. seems like a strike against it. If you're going by the, uh, Christmas, we're sweater not here metrics. for function. We're here for form. Come on. Yeah. But I mean, uh, also the ability to stash treats away does seem to kind of like help it out a little bit. Oh yeah. Totally practical. Yeah. So before we get on too much further, I wanted to take just a quick moment and uh, thank my beautiful bride, Tiffany, for joining us last week. Uh, Last week's episode came out the day before Thanksgiving, and I really enjoyed getting to sit down and talk with her about the things we were thankful for this year and in years past. And then also make a lot of fun at our uh, of our wedding playlist that played during our wedding reception. Uh, there's some bangers on there. There's also some real duds. So, uh, uh, and n- n- surprise, surprise, most of the duds were put on the list by me. So, you know, <laughs> seven years so will that, change a lot about a man. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that means you've grown as a person, which is good. Unfortunately, uh, as I'm sure we covered uh, in the episode over and over and over again, uh, Tiffany stood against those songs when they were put on the list. So... She, she should be my guiding light at all times, apparently, despite my growth. But, see, that's why, that's why I'm always going, well, in college, Megan showed me this new bed. <laughs> it's because the, our, our betters have better, uh, better music taste than we do. True. Or at least more sophisticated. 
were varied. There you go. Yeah, I'll take that. Some of it, I'm still like, yeah, this is still a good song. Maybe not for a wedding, but (laughs) (laughs) no, but seriously though, thank you to her for being willing to join us and do that uh, and give us an episode for Thanksgiving. Cause I know you and I were kind of uh, at our wits end with what to do for that one. Uh, So that's it. We're transitioning from Thanksgiving now and looking forward to the holidays. We're, we're in the first week of the holiday rush, the Christmas rush. Uh, but before we move on, I need to know what is your favorite part about the Thanksgiving holiday? Ooh, so last year, last year, I think Megan and I had a little bit of a Friendsgiving uh-huh. because of COVID. The whole family wasn't getting together. Um, but Megan and I and our friends, Justin and Kinsey, thought, well, like, there's just the four of us that will be around. We won't, you know, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. We won't be sick. And we weren't. And so we got together and had Friendsgiving. Well, this year my parents are going out of town to visit my mom's folks mm-hmm. uh, where they live. And uh, we were actually talking with Justin and Kinsey at the exact moment that my dad texted me and we were like, you know, this friends giving thing, there's something to that. Like Megan and I love our families. Let's mm-hmm. just like put that out there. We're not like anti-family. Both of us have great relationships with our parents. Um, but Megan's parents live very far away. They live in Arkansas mm-hmm. and we just don't always have the time. We got to board the dogs, Yep. Um, you know, take time to drive out there because plane tickets are expensive. Um, and so for, you know, for that reason, we've decided to do Friendsgiving. And I think just that in general, I really enjoy. I think there's something, this is probably going to be so lame sounding, but there's something about being an adult and having friends that you're really close with and just spending a holiday with them that feels kind of special in a way that's different, not superior, just different Mm -hmm. to a family get together. Uh, And that, that is like, I don't know if it qualifies as tradition, right? Because we only did it like once last year. Uh, but probably just being around friends, like eating and chatting and hanging out with friends is, is my favorite part of the Thanksgiving holiday uh, lately. What about you? What is your favorite part of the Thanksgiving holiday? Well, for me, it's definitely the just hanging out with friends and family with no expectations beyond gorging yourself beyond all belief and then maybe putting on yes. a football game or something uh, while mm-hmm. everybody like regrets their life decisions um, yeah. or is thankful <laughs> for the ones they made. I don't know. Um, loosens their belt or changes yeah. into sweatpants, whatever works. Whatever you do, will hey, you, you come through. to the table in sweatpants. We didn't raise no quitters. Like, <laughs> you pose for the it's pictures, the you go change way. into sweatpants. pants. <laughs> no. Um, yes. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Friendsgiving though. Um, Tiffany and I have done a Friendsgiving with, people that are close friends with us probably four out of the last five years. Um, and we Mm -hmm. generally do it the week before Thanksgiving. 
And there's something about that that's just really, you know, as I was preparing for this episode that I really kind of dialed into because family is family and we both love our families or whatever, but there is something to making the decision to spend time with people who want to spend time with you, not just because Mm -hmm. you're family and having that sense of community. And uh, we didn't get to do it last year because of COVID. And then this year, a couple of the friends that normally do it with us moved to Seattle. And so one of the things that I've been kind of bummed about is, Oh, like I'm really excited for him. He got a job at Amazon and he got it back at the beginning of COVID. And so instead of having to move to Seattle, like we got them for a whole year and a half extra. Uh, But then over the summer they did have to relocate. And uh, that was just kind of been one of those like, Oh man, like if we do that this year or, you know, when we do it, it won't kind of be the same as it's been the last six or seven years. Um, But anyhow, it is one of those things that I just, I love the, the sense of community, the fact that it brings people together. And for just a little while there, there's no expectation of gifts. There's no, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. let's all be together and do something together. And I I really like that. uh, Yeah. When it, when it comes down to it. I am really glad that neither of us, you and I famously uh, have a lot of hobbies. I'm glad neither one of us went the, uh, oh, I like the deals on Black Friday. Oh, gosh. It's yeah. so great. That's, <laughs> I will say. I, I don't think we're that kind of, those kind of people, but uh, it was just a relief. I, I, I thought like, oh, boy, like that's such a, that's, that's almost so like shallow. the reverse. Yeah. yeah. I will <laughs> it's say. It's like the worst part of it. I have been guilty the past couple of years of investing in my hobbies around, you know, Cyber Monday, not Black Friday, but the, the, the Cyber the Monday. Cyber Monday like, all right, let's do this. Not really though. I mean, most of the Cyber Monday deals start on Black Friday or whatever. Yeah. It's like, all right, that's but true. But yeah, get the going out and doing that, like no interest to me. I have I'm not a crowd person, like I got involved uh, in like the technical side of things, uh, working mm-hmm. at church or whatever, so that I didn't have to be out in the audience. Like I could be in just a quiet little corner and do my yeah. own thing for a little while and still be a part of it. Uh, but so getting out there and getting trampled for, you know, a cheap TV, not my idea of a good time. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, which, which is you know, funny, but whatever. I, I say that I, so I think you and I are different in that way. I, I am not an extrovert. I'm a a fairly introverted person, but I, I do enjoy crowds. I enjoy bustle as long as it's not, you know, you know, too negative bustle, you know? And, uh, up until COVID the past few Thanksgivings, uh, Megan and myself and my aunt and some of my cousins would get up, you know, air quotes, right, early. Mm-hmm. So like at like 8.30 or 9, and all get into their car and drive through Starbucks and get coffee mm-hmm. and then just like go to Costco and see what's there mm-hmm. and like go to Target or whatever. And so that that I enjoyed but, because it was much more about hanging out with family and just kind of like. But you weren't hanging shopping. out in line with a tent at Best Buy at 6 p.m. on Thanksgiving. Yeah. So no, that the 1201 doorbuster so you could get your new PlayStation uh, 3 or whatever. 
had it if I can't if I cannot in the convenience of time stroll to the store and get it, it's not it's worth a, getting. Like, my, my, Megan and I do our movie buying on Black Friday occasionally, and it's like after everything else has been picked over, we're like, okay, what Blu-rays are left <laughs> that we actually want to own and see? But that's that is the extent of our Black Friday shopping. I have a a personal position that isn't just around the holidays. It's like lifetime. Like my lifestyle is I will not stand in lines. Like I just, I don't want to stand in lines. And if I am forced to stand in a line, my attitude immediately tanks. So if I can't walk up, grab what I want and then walk out, I'm going to have a problem. And it must, it has to be something really worth it for me to stand in line, even at like the checkout register. Like I need, uh-huh. I'm, the, I'm the kind of guy that's like walking to the hunting department of uh, Walmart to see if they'll check me out back there. Uh, yeah, that kind yeah. of like, no, nah, let, let, let's get out of here. Uh, but that said, buying things online has been like a great boon for me because all right, oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't care if it shows up in three days. Like I didn't have to stand in line. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, curbside pickup is That's great funny. too. I didn't have to stand in line. I may have to wait in my car, but I didn't have to stand in line. Like, yeah, so yeah. much like interesting. I hate lines, and it's all because of the DMV. So there you go. Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes the DMV. That's so funny. I don't mind. I don't mind standing in lines if I'm with Megan. Like if I've got somebody to stand around and shoot the bull with, mm-hmm. that's fine. But I, I will say for my part, I, I don't like standing in lines by myself. Yeah, like, I don't like standing in lines. Period. Oh, well, yeah. the greatest Christmas gift somebody can give me is not letting me stand in lines. <laughs> is one of those uh, cut to the front of the line passes for Six Flags or Disney World or whatever. I, I will pay the extra for that do pass. Those? Yes. Fast passes? They do. Yes, they do. Fast pass, yeah. And I will pay for it, like, every oh, time. Man. It's like, you want, an extra, ride a roller coaster. you want an extra hundred bucks so I don't have to stand in line? Sounds great. Where do I write the check? Take. Yeah, it's the uh, the fry from Futurama Take meme. My money. Take my money. Take it. If if I have to Venmo the kid that's managing the line uh, for the park, you know how much how much do I got to pay <laughs> to go in front of this? Yeah, I'm engaging you're in black engaging market in some commerce. Bana- yeah, some like <laughs> Banana Republic stuff right there. Just going like, hey, um, I uh, noticed the passage into your special little country uh, costs quite a bit of money. I happen to have that right here. What do I got to do for you, for you to work for me? But anyhow, that's not Christmas related at all, but it was fun uh, to get to do. Um, Let's talk about the topic of the night. Um, You and I have gone into our separate little hidey holes and we've come together with 10 of our all time favorite Christmas songs. Before Mm -hmm. we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what makes a Christmas song good to you, Chris. Um, well, okay. So we're talking about, uh, in pop secular, culture. yeah, secular in yeah. air quotes, yeah. secular. Right. Um, I, there's a certain amount of sentimentality that is not acceptable in regular music to me personally, that I make quite a big allowance for in Christmas music. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I was listening to the lyrics of one of the songs on my list uh, and really paying attention to them because it's uh, music that I hear a lot, but don't necessarily, you know, it's like a lot of uh, things that you become so familiar with them Mm -hmm. that you don't really need to examine them on anything beyond a surface level. So I was listening to the words and they are just, they're, they're kind of bad, like not, not objectionable, just the cheesiest, like they make, uh, they make Hallmark gift cards sound like Herman Melville. They were so just unbearably cheesy. Uh, But I, there's part of me that still likes that because, oh, it's Christmas and, you know, you're, you're excited because of the amount of time you get to spend with your family. Hopefully if you have a good family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the things that at least for me makes good Christmas music is a basic level of like sentiment and, you know, maybe that's just like joy or love or whatever, but you, you, you get kind of a pass as a musician from me, if you're going to be extra cheesy. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that makes Christmas music good for me. What about you? What are some some hallmarks of a uh, a good Christmas song? I'm really happy you used the word hallmarks there because Christmas music is the hallmark music of like the music industry, and it really is like there is a time and a place for this kind of music, and it is definitely uh, between. Thanksgiving and Christmas day and not before that or after that, like, let's be clear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's only so much yeah. of it I can handle yeah. and that's the window. Um, but for me, I think what makes a good Christmas song is honestly uh, originality. I am not a fan of, everybody and their brother remaking some Christmas classic because they have to have their take on something or a reimagined modernization of it. It's very rare that I'll listen to something and be like, Oh yeah, I love this better than the original because I value something in the idea of bringing something original to the table, especially because Christmas music seems to be a genre of music that is kind of frozen in time when, you know, that post-World War II to just before, like, Vietnam went really bad window of time, uh, you know, 1945 to, let's say, 66, 67. And ever since then, we've just been kind of remaking the ball in pop culture type or secular music. And so it's when I hear something that's original or something that's new, I generally kind of gravitate to that more than, you know, so-and-so remaking so-and-so's remake. I mean, we're to the point where on the fifth or sixth generation of remakes that are each one of them has twisted something a little bit more and kind of uh, did the multiplicity effect. uh, If you've ever seen that movie, Uh, if not, it's not Christmas related, but totally worth watching a fabulous film. (laughs) Uh, But each subsequent generation gets dumber and dumber. I have not seen. Oh, it is. So good. The basic plot is a guy clones himself and each clone gets a little bit dumber. So by the like 15th clone, oh, man. it's not good. 
I am, I am right there. And it's what, Michael Keaton. But I, I it's, wanna... it's Michael Keaton too. Oh like. man, that's what. Okay, that sounds familiar. I haven't seen it, but I, I, I had heard of this movie. But something I want to circle back to. You were talking about it's nice when people are original. Um, kind of the the flip side of that for me is Michael Bublé. the The Christmas season is the only season that I listen to Michael Bublé. And I kind of wonder how he has a career outside of it because he's just like, you know, he's crooner or 3.0 or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I just think it's basically what you've said is like, well, it's Christmas. I better try out Sinatra and Dean Martin arrangements and like dress them up a little bit and uh, you know, make my, make my bone for the year. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of artists that make a living on it because there's such a market for it. I mean, sure. I, I think it's one of those easy ways to make a buck. You know, we'll put together a Christmas album cause we don't have to create anything new. We don't have to build anything new. And then, you know, artists like Michael Buble or even to like a lesser extent, um, you know, older artists who aren't really touring anymore, like they can, they can kind of revive themselves for a season and get on the playlist because it's, you know, familiar and everybody loves it or whatever, but it just does nothing yeah, for me. No. I mean, there's definitely a market for it. It's just not my idea of a good market. Um, yeah. You are, you are not the target audience there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, neither is, you know, the guy who's copying exact portraits of like Rembrandt's. Um, but that's kind of what it feels like. Like you're a not yeah. as good version of the original. Um, well, I have, I have noticed it's funny on your list and I'm sure we'll get into it, but our lists are markedly different in that you do have a lot of uh, songs that I think of as, I mean, they're probably considered Canon at this point, like Canon Christmas mm -hmm. music. Mm hmm but they're all songs that I think of as slightly non-traditional, even though they've been around for so long. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. I do have something to say about that. This list, these 10 songs, well, spoiler alert, I didn't play by the rules. These 11 songs uh, were really hard for me to come up with. I yeah, yeah. abhor like with a passion, secular Christmas music in general. Do not like mm -hmm. it. I mean, I came up with three or four songs pretty easily, but it really took me racking my brain to come up with the songs that would be on this list. Coincidentally, on the flip side of that, it was really easy for me to make a list of about 60 songs that I absolutely hate in the secular music genre. Uh, so if we decide to do that, uh, hint, hint on Christmas Eve, hint, hint, um, uh, that list is going to be a lot easier for me to make fun of, uh, this list, I ended up going to a lot of the quote unquote canon because, okay, this is where it all started. I appreciate this song. Uh, but none of these are things that I would be like, yeah, let's put that playlist on and listen to it on repeat the entire holiday season. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was really happy. Some of the songs on your list and we'll talk through it. Uh, were rejects from my list that were kind of hard to say, oh yeah, no, I can't put that there because I need to put this over here for whatever reason. Uh, um, uh, so there is a lot of crossover where I look at your list and go, oh, I'm glad that made the list. 
Um, so, but enough talking about lists without talking about the lists. Uh, <laughs> I know it. This is a podcast about music. on tenterhooks. Oh, yeah. Come on. By now, they're like, put us out of our misery, guys. And get to the good stuff. <laughs> All right, Chris. So here we go. Um, you and I each created lists of 10 songs. Um, we agreed beforehand on a coin toss that we had to do like 17 times. Uh, don't quote my math on that. Uh, that you would go first <laughs> and we're counting down in reverse order. So... Uh, number 10 to number one, what is your 10th favorite secular Christmas song? Uh, so my 10th favorite secular Christmas song is uh, the main title theme from Home Alone, uh, the title of which is Somewhere in My Memory. This is the song that I mentioned having abysmally corny lyrics. Uh, and I am going to read them for you now. Candles in the window, shadows painting the ceiling, gazing at the fire glow, feeling that gingerbread feeling, precious moments, special people, happy faces I can see, somewhere in my memory, Christmas joys all around me, living in my memory, all of the music, all of the magic, all of the family home here with me. Now, objectively, I think we can agree those are bad. I don't want to throw stones at John Williams because he's a legend, but if he wrote those lyrics, it's a good thing he's not doing songwriting regularly. <laughs> it's a good thing there's no um, lyrics in Star Wars. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I can only imagine. Um, but, man, like, that movie is... So Home Alone, right? Home Alone is a movie that we all, uh, probably most of us are familiar with. And it's one that we have really, like my family especially, really loves. And so hearing the theme music and um, as cheesy and dopey as the lyrics are, you know, it, it does kind of bring out or like, in some like really bad, unclear way, kind of elucidate on why the Christmas season is so special to, uh, uh, to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, hearing that music makes me think of whenever Megan and I sit down and watch that movie, because that's usually the first movie of the season that we watch. Um, and it makes me think of watching that movie with my family. And, you know, that just all the like good things that come along with home alone. So I, I put that at the bottom at slot number 10 because um, it's really closely related to Christmas for me. Uh, but you know, obviously it's not, it's a little untraditional, let's say, uh, because it's a, a movie theme and not a song that you hear on the radio ad nauseum. All right. So my number 10 um, goes back to me cheating. I really couldn't pick between these two songs to be 10. Um, and I feel like I'm justified because they're both by the same artist, and that's Gene Autry. Um, so 
Uh, here comes Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer are two of the, just the all-time Christmas classics that I think of when I think about getting into the holiday spirit. It's kind of funny. Um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, he released in, I believe, 1937. And then here comes Santa Claus. He released in 1949. And I may have those backwards, but I'm pretty sure on the dates. And so there's a huge span of time between them, but the two of them are almost inseparable in my mind together. Uh, I grew up with, you know, one playing right after the other all the time. And um, uh, it's just, for me, it's the beginning of Christmas uh, when I start hearing those. It's funny, uh, also, as kind of just a side note, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, while being recorded in 1939, uh, hit number one on the U.S. charts for the week of Christmas in 1949. So mm. just an interesting little side note. Um, but everybody loves that song. Uh, you can't hate on Rudolph, uh, no matter who you, uh, who you think you are. So uh, that's it. Let's hear what your number nine was. Uh, so my number nine is another slightly non-traditional choice. Uh, but it is unimpeachable because it's Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky. <laughs> it is Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy from the Nutcracker Suite. Uh, this song gets stuck in my head outside of Christmas mm -hmm. uh, during the rest of the year because it is an earworm. Mm-hmm. And it's stuck in my head right now, and I wasn't thinking about it until I read see, it on your list. So you read the title of the song, but I I love the life and whimsy in the Nutcracker Suite, and I'm kind of regretting not putting it on our list of just regular albums because Tchaikovsky is one of my absolute favorite classical composers. His music just has a special something. I'm sure that if I were a professor of music, I would be able to elucidate on all the, the music theory reasons and the styles that he wrote in and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love it. I love it. It, it gets used in, I want to say it gets used in a lot of old Warner brothers cartoons, mm -hmm. you know, cause they were really good at using classical music to kind of, uh, kind of introduce children to it, but it is a song that gets played a lot at Christmas and it is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, there's a fun rockabilly version of this that I think Brian Setzer does. Uh, and that's not necessarily the version I was thinking of, but it's one of those things that gets covered from time to time. People like to put their spin on it. Uh, and it's, uh, there's always something interesting there because the, the source material is so good. Uh, but that is my number nine. So this is one of the songs that I was really happy or one of the pieces of compositions that I was really excited to see make somebody's list. Uh, it was something that I was thinking about a couple of different pieces from the Nutcracker Suite uh, as I was putting my list together because it is just so quintessentially Christmas. Uh, it was uh, first written and premiered in uh, the Christmas time of 1890 in St. Petersburg. And it's one of those pieces that as a theater kid, I grew up around all the time and just, it's so good. And every, every movement of that set is 
you know, we, we talked a lot uh, earlier this year uh, about the planets and Gustav Hulse. And as far as classical music goes, this is up there as well. Um, the angels and fairies, the, the Spanish dancers, the soldiers. I mean, all of it is just oh, so good. So uh, enough of me gushing over it. This is the perfect pick to me. Uh, and the Celesta, so the the instrument mm-hmm. that is used and plays the, you know, the do-do-do-do-do, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows that. Um, this was the first serious use of it in in a composed work. And uh, the the next time it was used in a really big way was... Gustav Holst using it in the Neptune movement. Almost 40 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it has like an interesting little, uh, um, kind of a niche thing. And, you know, I'm sure that he was thinking of music boxes and, and that kind of thing when he wrote it, because it has a very, you know, you imagine one of those like jewelry boxes or whatever that you open up and there's a little dancer in there. Uh, I don't know. It's just charming. That's, uh, that's, I think the, the simplest way to sum up my feelings about it. Do I need to go on to number eight? Is that what we're on to next? Or do you want to do your number eight? Uh, I'm going to do, uh, my number nine, I believe. Oh yeah, that's right. I was <laughs> skipping right over what you want to do. Uh, yeah. Lay it, lay it on us. What's number nine for you? So you're going from uh, classy and classical. I'm going to uh, take things down tempo just a little bit uh, or down the street or whatever uh, you want to call it. And my number nine pick is Clarence Carter's original rendition of Backdoor Santa, which is a funky blues jazz kind of tune uh, that was released in 1968, a year that has shown up on our podcast several times, uh, especially here recently. Um, you had not heard this song before. Uh, what was your first impression of it? Um, man, it is a jam. I was kind of unprepared for, uh, the The, funk, the horns. Like it is quintessential sixties funk music. Yeah. Well, it's blues is what it is. It is like a perfect, like down and dirty blues tune. And, uh, you know, I, I think if you chucked the lyrics to it and put something else in, it would be unrecognizable as a Christmas song. Uh, but it's got the word Santa in it. Yeah. And, and so it, it slides through. This is one of those songs that you should not play uh, lyrically speaking uh, in front of your grandmother or, you know, the, the church going public in some ways. Uh, it's essentially a song about a guy dressing up as Santa Claus to steal your woman and telling you he's going to do it. Uh, so as you're going out the front door, he's coming in the back door. Uh, but it's one of those songs that it's just so much fun. And uh, I just love everything about the song from the, the musical intention. And I, I disagree with you. I think if you took the lyrics out of it and you listen just to the music, it does have like sleigh bells. It does have some, oh, non- it does it? yeah, it does. It does have some Christmassy elements on top uh, of the horns are kind of doing kind of a Christmassy kind of, you know, Carol of the bells kind of thing at one point, but it is 
it is so good and it is so different. And that's one of the things that I really like about it. You don't get good original Christmas jazz music most of the time. And this, this does it all. So that was a cool one uh, for me. Uh, and I enjoy it every time I hear it. Uh, unfortunately, we don't hear it very often. So uh, that was my number nine. Uh, let's look at your number eight. My number eight was uh, Old Blue Eyes himself, oh. Frank Sinatra singing Let It Snow. Uh, and we were kind of talking off mic. I I really like the jazzier uh, sort of crooner versions of a lot of Christmas songs in general. And I was trying to pick between Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. And, but I, I find their voices to be pretty equal. I don't know about you, but I, they're both fantastic crooners, but what sold me on the Frank Sinatra version of let it snow is his band is just cooking. It's like the biggest swinginest arrangement of, you know, a pretty simple Christmas song that all of us know. Uh, but man, do I love his voice and, and, you know, I, I have lived in snowy environments as an adult. And so I'm really hesitant to say I like snow because snow usually just means I have to try and drive to work in snow Mm -hmm. as rare as it is up here in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, but you know, when I was a kid, I loved snow. And we lived in Ohio for a time and got nothing but snow from <laughs> the end of November to, you know, March, it seemed like some years. Uh, and so that just the snow and the familiarity of the song and Frank Sinatra and his band just cooking along behind him. That's really what sells me on this song. You know, not to be the like musical pedant or whatever, but this is probably the exception to the rule of, the original is the best in my book. Um, Mm -hmm. Let it snow was written in 1945. uh, I believe by Vaughn Monroe, uh, if I remember right. And it was recorded in 1946 by Connie Boswell. And um, that's a good version. I don't think the recording technology was quite ready in 46 for like the, the music that they were trying to capture. Uh, Frank Sinatra recorded his version in 1950 and it is vastly superior. Uh, no, no offense to Connie Boswell, but you know, Frank Sinatra's is vastly superior. And then Dean Martin, the little upstart didn't record his version until 1966. And is, <laughs> it is really hard to be like, dude, there's 16 years between here. So Dean Martin was like really doing the remake thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, the remake of a remake kind of thing. And he is so close. Like it is one of those things that when you and I were talking about it, I was like, I could see like going for the Dean Martin version, but Frank Sinatra's that band. It's like the end of the night. It's the encore, you know, of like a show, like it brings that energy of this is the last thing we're doing tonight. And we're going to kick it just straight out of the field. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just so great. I love that band. And, uh, blue eyes, man, that voice, uh, is amazing. So great. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing uh, I'll say this and then we can move on. The thing I love about Dino is I think he brings, he brings a little bit more, uh, 
a little bit more, not aggression, but his, his singing style is a little bit bolder. I think not that anyone would ever accuse Frank Sinatra of demurring or anything because he's, you know, he's kind of legendary for being even a little bit of a gangster, I think. Uh, but Dino just has like a little bit more brashness about him. And so I wish that I could put Dean Martin's vocal performance of this song in front of Frank Sinatra's band, because Dean Martin's band is like, is like sixties, easy listening. There's a lot of glockenspiel and some really like schmarmy Mm -hmm. sort of sound to it that I don't think that immediately turned me off actually to his version of it. Uh, But also it's just kind of hard to beat Frank Sinatra. He's, he's kind of the OG. Uh, So yeah. Number eight, let it snow by Frank Sinatra. What about you? What's your number eight? Uh, so for me, my number eight, uh, is taking it back, uh, to the beach boys and their song, little St. Nick. Oh yes. So little St. Nick was released in 1963, I believe as a single. Uh, and it was written by Brian Wilson, who Brian Wilson's a phenomenal songwriter. Uh, and he mm-hmm. worked with Mike love, who is another phenomenal uh, songwriter. Uh, they, they were kind of riffing on their song, little deuce coop. Uh, but yeah. instead they yeah. wanted it to be, you know, Santa Claus and his sleigh. And this song peaked at like number three for billboard. And it stayed there for like most of like the next year it was in like the top, like a Christmas song with staying power into spring, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it's just such a fun song. And, uh, it ended up coming back out. Uh, they released it as a whole album and with, with the whole album in 64, uh, in stereo and their voices are amazing. It's just, it's a great Christmas song. It also performed uh, amazing for them. So it was one of their top selling singles of all time. Uh, so that's kind of fun. Something I noticed, I looked up the lyrics that I'd never noticed in the song. Cause evidently I don't pay attention to lyrics, which is probably bad for an aspiring songwriter. Uh, but uh, one of the lines is he's got to wear his goggles. Cause the snow really flies. That makes Santa look so cool. Like he's got oh, his yeah. freaking racing goggles. Santa looks like he rides a Harley this. in the off season. Yes, exactly. Uh. <laughs> that is a great, I'm picturing like, Santa with like a really sweet steampunk kind of sleigh that he <laughs> needs glasses because it goes so quickly. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. When you picture Santa, uh, folks, picture him in some sweet riding goggles. Yeah. All right, man. So number seven uh, for you. Number seven for me. Okay. I cheated a little bit. Just like you cheated having two songs in one slot, I cheated having the same song twice, but by different people. Um, And mine is White Christmas by The Drifters. So if you're unfamiliar with The Drifters, they were a doo-wop group, or probably not strictly doo-wop, probably more R&B. But their version of White Christmas is all over Christmas movies everywhere. I want to say it's uh, in the beginning 
of the Santa Claus, uh, Mm -hmm. that wonderful Tim Allen movie where he has burnt every single element of the dinner for his son, because if Tim Allen's in a movie, he's a bad father. Uh, and so he's like ruined Christmas dinner. Uh, but it also, I think for me, I always think of it once again in home alone, uh, because I think it, it, it plays over Kevin trying to like start about doing his normal routine. And in the film, he's like reading a little, you know, there's like a little voiceover of like, this morning I got up at eight fifteen and made the bed and then I blah, blah, blah. And he goes and puts aftershave on his face and it stings his face. And he screams into the camera because that's Macaulay Culkin's like mm-hmm. signature thing. Cause he's, you know, five or whatever in that movie. Um, but you know, it's just got such an inimitable, yep, you know, it's so good. And then uh, the second verse, uh, the guy with the really like up high register starts singing that. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Mm-hmm. I always sing along with that on, <laughs> like, whenever I'm watching the movie or if it comes on the radio or whatever. Uh, so this is just like a purely fun pick for me is white Christmas by the drifters. Cause it's just so good. So I read your list in reverse order. Like we're doing it here and I got uh-huh. kind of offended that you picked the drifters version. Um, because there is a far superior version than the drifters version. Um, uh-huh. and thankfully I was reading your list in reverse order. And as I got to the top, you have the superior version. So. Oh Yeah. Don't uh, worry, Jim. We'll get there. We'll I don't want to give there. it away, but there's a lot of really cool. This, let's just say this much: "White Christmas" is the most successful single of all time in any music in any genre, uh, with one particular artist selling more than a hundred million copies worldwide of just the single. And uh, uh, we'll get to there in a little bit, since you have that artist, thankfully, uh, on your yes. list. Uh, so yes, I was indeed. kind of offended that the drifters made your list <laughs> until I got to the top and we're like, Oh, okay, we're good. We're good. Or towards the top. It's like, all right. Like I don't have to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> How could he pick this version? Well, what is your, so what's your number seven? Where, where are you sitting at for number seven? I'm digging deep in the well for Christmas Canon and I'm doing the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. Oh um, man. Such a good song. If, you uh, aren't familiar with it audience. It's the one that starts with chestnuts roasting on an open fire and going on and on. That's as much singing as you're going to get from me on this show ever. I promise (laughs) Uh, this song. um, First off, Nat King Cole had absolutely nothing to do with writing it. Um, He recorded it as a spec song in June of 46. It had been written in 1945 uh, for a couple of different artists uh, who passed on it. They didn't want to do it. And uh, Nat King Cole uh, recorded it in June of 46. Uh, and he did it despite his label Capitol Records telling him not to do it. Uh, he ended up re-recording it in uh, August with a string section. Uh, and that version uh, went on sale before Thanksgiving in 1946 and became an instant runaway success for him and Capitol Records, uh, to the point that he re-recorded it in 53, uh, 61, 
And then it has been remastered several times since then has sold dozens of millions of copies, you know, above 25 million copies. It's just such a cool song. I mean, you want to talk about getting in the Christmas mood. That's a song that comes on you instantly. You feel the fire. You, you can imagine everything. And then there's an infinite number of parodies of it. Um, a good song can be defined by the parodies of it. And Weird Al has done it. Uh, Dr. Demento <laughs> has done it. I mean, everybody has done it. So yeah, I, I love yeah. this song uh, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It should have been higher on my list. Let me say that much. Nat King Cole has just velvety, velvety pipes. Uh, and something I want to encourage you listeners, um, if you're at all interested in jazz, go search out some of Nat King Cole's work just as a pianist. So um, good. Because he is, man, is he good. You don't, you don't ever get, uh, at least these days anyway, I don't think you ever get much of a picture of him as a musician because everybody knows him for his kind of croonery type of stuff. Um, but boy, he is a fantastic pianist. In addition to being an amazing singer, some guys have it all. It's, it's really not fair. Yeah, definitely. All right. Um, so let's go back to your list and let's talk a little bit about your number six. So number six for me, is This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. And uh, I knew that I was going to put the song This Christmas on my list, but I, I couldn't for the life of me remember who did that song originally, and so I just Googled This Christmas. And a lot of stuff came up. Uh, some popular like pop singers have done it. I think the original version that plays on the radio a lot, not the original version, but the song that I had heard the most was the Chris Brown version, uh -huh. uh, which is good. It's fine. Uh, but uh, I had heard some Donny Hathaway and recognized the name. And his version is by far and away the best version of this song. Uh, and I hesitate to say that any instrument sounds Christmassy because instruments only like, unless it's sleigh bells, mm -hmm. instruments are what they are. And we attach kind of a, external things based on like where we hear them used a lot and whatever. Uh, but the brass in this song is so big. There's a lot of reverb, but I, in my opinion, it's really well, um, well mixed. The guitar parts in the song are fantastic. They're like everything you want out of a uh, 70s kind of R&B tune. And the melody of this song, like a lot of Christmas songs have really good melodies, and I think that's part of why they get played so much mm -hmm. and why we remember them and sing them is because the melodies are interesting. Uh, but this song with its like kind of 70s funk and R&B uh, little hints of jazz, that kind of sensibility over um, chord progression that like really pulls out the best of the melody. It is just one of my favorite uh, Christmas tunes. It, uh, it slaps mm -hmm. as the kids like to say, I'm probably already like five years too late with that. It's a banger. Uh, it's hot, whatever, 
<laughs> whatever the kids are saying about songs these days, this song has it. This uh, this song has been an amazing single and a very popular one uh, for a long time. I'm looking at its uh, charting uh, for uh, Christmas music, and it gets up into the the high 30s for something that isn't like just on repeat on your local station. And to your point, one of the things that I uh, have always enjoyed about this song uh, is that Donny Hathaway is vocal, keyboard, and bass on this song. And, oh man. I mean, I love so it. he did all that. And then, uh, electric guitar is Phil Upchurch, which, um, people who love like jazz and R and B music, he's basically been a guitarist on everybody's hit single, uh, from Michael Jackson to, you know, even BB King, like he's all over the place. So there's a lot of really talented musicians here, uh, that put this song together and it has had a ton of staying power. Um, I'm looking at the 2020-2021 peak positions, and it made 62 on the Global 200 Billboard uh, in 2021. Like, there you go, 39 on the Billboard Hot 100 for its peak uh, in 2021. Uh, 2021 was a big year for a re-release for them, but still, amazing song, and it deserves all the recognition uh, it can get. I, man, I love it. So number six for you, what, what are we looking at here? Number six for me, um, <laughs> we're kind of staying in the same, uh, vein. Uh, I picked a uh, run, run Rudolph or run Rudolph run as it's actually titled, uh, by Chuck Berry, uh, 1958. I, I love Johnny Marks, the, the songwriter for this. Uh, but this song is a song that has been uh, fought over for years about its lineage. Uh, Johnny Marks is given the writing credit for it, but Marvin Brody um, has said over the years that he actually wrote it and that Johnny Marks was just copying it down while, while Marvin Brody was performing it. Uh, and ultimately, you know, it was published by Chuck Berry. Uh, no matter who wrote it, the lyrics are fun. It, it is the song I think about when you think about that last minute Christmas rush, you know, Christmas Eve, I've got to go out and I have to figure out what I'm getting for somebody. It's just the, the song that plays when everybody's in a panic, uh, going back to home alone, it makes an appearance in home alone as the family is running through the airport uh, on uh -huh. home alone too, I believe. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's just yeah. such a great song. Uh, and it, uh, falls into Barry's kind of normal for him, 12 bar blues structure. And it's, uh, it's actually, uh, the melody is identical to the song, uh, little Queenie, uh, which came out, uh, that same year. So he got some flack for that, but it's, it's great. Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. care. That, yeah. That, uh, Chuck Berry has a great voice. I don't think we really, it, it, it's not that he's technically, super gifted. He doesn't have this huge range or anything, but he is just a really unique voice. Uh, and that run, run Rudolph, like it, it just, the, the cadence of it, it, it's a good song. It, you know, the, those words kind of come off your tongue really easily. And I think it, it's just one of those like match made in heaven things. And to mm -hmm. boot, it's a Christmas song. I love, so one of the things I love about that song are the verses where Santa's talking to the little boy and the little girl. Uh, and that's one of the things I've always liked. And uh, 
just the way the way Chuck Berry intonates on those and the way he uses like his own vernacular. So uh it's quote Sid Santa to a boy child, what have you been longing for? All I want for Christmas is a rock and roll electric guitar. And then away went Rudolph, a whizzing like a shooting star. Uh, and then in the next verse, he talks to a little girl, said Santa to a girl child. What, what would please you most to get a little baby doll that can cry, sleep, drink, and wet. And then away went Rudolph, a whizzing like a saber jet. That's yeah. so good. I mean, yeah. <laughs> golly. That's- that's everything that was good about fifties rock and roll. Like I, I'm not big on a lot of fifties rock groups, but man, that's that, that kind of like fifties, like Cadillac Coupe de Ville sensibility to rock and roll where it was all bound up in cars and, you know, driving fast. And I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. And, and he makes good use of it in this song. Yeah. He really does. So let's get into the top half of our lists with your number five pick. So my, my number five pick, I'm almost worried uh, people are going to be irritated because I think it's probably a song that gets played ad nauseum. Uh, and I've got, I've got kind of two of those on there. Uh, but this one is deck the halls by Mannheim steamroller. Uh, and, <laughs> You will all, if you don't know what song that is, it's basically the synth, the like 80s Yamaha keyboard version of Deck the Halls. Um, and man, I, I grew up, so dad had a, mom and dad had a Mannheim Steamroller CD. And I think that was one of the CDs that as a little kid, I was constantly putting in the CD player around Christmas time. Because when you're a little kid, that kind of stuff is just exciting. It hasn't been around enough to annoy you yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I listened to several. There was like an Anne Murray Christmas album that I listened to uh, a lot as a kid that I listened to some of it uh, in preparation for this episode and went like, no, that's so cheesy. I can't stand it. But this song I played and immediately was like, yeah, that's definitely going on the list. Uh, because it has this like hilarious like train wreck of real brass instruments, but also synthesizer drum machines, but also there's real drums in it. Like it's just a mess, but it is a really fun mess. And it makes deck the halls sound way more epic and kind of adventurous than it actually is. It's like, like really. Yeah. I was going to say, it's kind of like the, it's a good song. Don't get me wrong. So when I say this, don't get offended, but it's like the, the crappier grandfather of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra version. It, yeah, um, it has that same kind of like, we're going to make Christmas big, like big <laughs> and like, we're going to make a rock and it's going to be cool. And it's like, no, you can't really do that with Christmas. Like Christmas is what it is and we love it and it's wonderful, but don't try and make it like, like cool like it's it's kind of it winds up being like the fawns in a leather jacket like in its day it was cool but you can't really do that with christmas anymore it's just really goofy uh but i love that the song tries so hard and goes so hard <laughs> it's just it's it's delightful well uh what was your number five uh it it looks like you're sticking with the rock and roll why don't you tell us about it 
I am, but I don't know that it actually counts as rock and roll. Like even in the fifties when it was released, it wasn't really that rocking. Uh, just the fact that it's in the title and that's rocking around the Christmas tree by Brenda Lee. This song is another Johnny Marks song. Like we've mentioned his name a couple times tonight already. Uh, such a great song. Um, most people have forgotten that her version of Papa Noel is the B side to this single, which is also really good, uh, which helped uh, the chart performance and the, the sales for this single as well. But this thing has been used in just about every, every movie uh, that is Christmas related. It made its debut in 1958. It was included in the television special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer it's been in the Home Alone movies. It was in Disney's Pluto's Christmas and Mickey's Christmas Carol. I mean, it's just all over the place. And there's just something so carefree and joyful uh, about that song that I just have always really liked. And my first exposure to it was definitely watching Home Alone. And I just, I love that, that song. It's, it's, the perfect Christmas Eve song to me uh, when I think about, you know, truly original, truly fun. Uh, and I think it's a real shame that, you know, Brenda Lee didn't become more of a, a name in the fifties and sixties uh, because she just kind of tailed off after, uh, after uh, this you know, a couple of singles. Yeah, that is a shame. Uh, this is one of my favorites and one that I forgot about and would have put it uh, on the list, perhaps, uh, if I hadn't found so many other songs that I like a little bit more. Uh, this is another song that has fantastic guitar playing. Mm -hmm. It's very rockabilly. Uh, the guitar stabs in it are really fantastic, in addition to Brenda Lee's excellent vocal. This is definitely one that I enjoy a lot, and I'm glad you put on your list. Oh, well, thanks, man. So speaking of things I'm happy ended up on people's lists... Let's talk about your number four. So my, my number four, if number five did not make people roll their eyes or veer their car off the road in frustration, number four definitely will. Uh, because unironically, folks, unironically, I put Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Um, Paul is my favorite Beatle, let it be known. Although uh, some days I feel like more of a George person. Uh, but I love <laughs> the world sees you as a Ringo guy, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Filthy, rich that's and successful. I, so that's, that's what the world sees you as. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I can't argue with that. Um, but I just love the cheerfulness of the song. I, you know, we talked at the beginning of this about like kind of cheesiness and how cheesiness and sentimentality gets a little bit of a pass. I think this song has that in spades. Um, you know, Paul McCartney kind of trowels on the sentiment mm -hmm. in his solo career. There's so much like sort of cheesiness and happy go lucky sort of feeling in his music. And I, I like it on this song. This is another song that I enjoy the synth textures. You know, I really, uh, number five was a synth heavy track and, uh, the synthesizers in this tune are a lot of fun. They're kind of bonkers too. Like there's a little bit of a, an echo on uh, some of the part that creates kind of like a weird poly rhythm. That's like a lot of fun for just like 
a dopey Christmas jingle that you would hear in a mall. Uh, so that's that's mine. Is is wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney. This so I think it's a fun Christmas song. Don't get me wrong. Um, this is the one song on either of our list that I really feel like has not aged well. Um, oh no, it's aged terribly. Dude, it sounds, and I think even when it came out, it Paul McCartney was a little late to the game as far as how the production was and the synths and everything. But yeah, I don't know, man. I I just like it, but it is dated and it is a little bit of a clunker. But one thing that's <laughs> nice though is like if you're just learning how to play piano, you can figure out how to play that in about five minutes just by listening yeah. to it. Like it is not a hard song to play, but it is. No. It is. It is a very sweet song and it is good. So it does deserve to be on a list. It's just the caveats of what? <laughs> well, and the thing is like the, the problem you and I were talking about this off mic, the problem with a lot of Christmas songs, I think is that so many people hear the same ones over and over again. Mm-hmm. And man, I, I get it. Like I wouldn't like anything. There are a lot of songs that I dislike because I hear them incessantly. But for whatever reason, I have like a weird immunity to this song. Whenever it comes on, you know, in Target while I'm shopping or whatever, I just kind of like bob my head and wander around like an idiot because I just love this tune. Mm -hmm. Well, that's my number four. What is yours? My number four is Jingle Bell Rock, uh, which was originally recorded by Bobby Helms uh, in 1957. This is a song that, I mean, everybody's covered it. Everybody knows Jingle Bell Rock. It's right there with Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Like, it's the, 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 the twin sister song, if you will. This is a song that really should not have gotten made when you start looking into all the controversy around it. Um, it's a song that when I first uh, learned about or did all the research on it, uh, probably five or six years ago, I was kind of blown away. Um, four or five people have claimed authorship to the song and it's gone to lawsuits. It's gone to lots of name calling and just, it's like a tabloid cover. Um, and up to the point that Bobby Helms, uh, even stated that he never wanted to record it. And the only reason he recorded it is because his, uh, guitarist Hank Garland, uh, sat there in the session and basically rewrote the entire guitar part on the fly to get something that kind of worked. And when you listen to that song, Jingle Bell Rock, it's the guitar that makes that such a great song. So to find out that it's basically like improv on the spot, they rewrote the chorus, they rewrote the bridge and the intro, like as they were going and stitched three different kind of improv pieces together to get a song. Uh, and that's the only way it got made. Um, and then on top of that, you've got everybody claiming they wrote it. Uh, uh-huh. This is kind of an interesting uh, song for that reason. And it is like you take all that away and strip it down to what it is. It is a fun Christmas song. So that's my number four. Yeah, this one is definitely a bop. And it's funny, a, a, a lot of good guitar playing on both of our lists. I feel like uh, Jingle Bell Rock is another one that I really enjoy. And I'm glad that you put it on the list because I, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I forgot about it, but there were just other ones I like more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was kind of nice. I think you mentioned this earlier in the episode. It's just kind of nice to like have the, the like 
the complimentary nature of these lists. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, Jingle Bell Rock is fantastic. Well, for me, the reason that so many of these songs made the list is I saw them in some movie or they were part of some montage on something I watched, not necessarily because my family listens to lots of Christmas music. And so I've got those memories to go with it that I'm like, oh, yeah, this puts me in the mood for, you know, hot cocoa and cookies and, you know, whatever it is. So, yeah, uh, it's cool that your songs kind of elicit those same feelings to me as well. Uh, Speaking of having feelings and wanting hot cocoa, what's your number three song? Uh, My number three song is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by James Taylor. Uh, his version. So his, his Christmas album, if y'all haven't checked it out, go listen to it. It's excellent. And in kind of typical James Taylor fashion, some of it is not quite Christmassy. It's just sort of wintry music that he really likes. Uh, but man, I love his voice. And once again, his guitar playing is excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he's really good at picking keys for himself to sing in. Uh, because, you know, when the song gets to Here We Are, as in olden days, happy golden days of yore, is kind of the highest notes, like the highest range that the song hits. And it is like in the sweet spot mm-hmm. for his voice. He has such a... a such a sonorous voice, but it's also, it's also in that range that like gets right to your ears. It's not reedy. It's not thin. Um, but I don't know. It, it cuts. He has like a voice that kind of cuts through the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's an awfully clinical way to describe this song. Uh, but it's really his voice that makes this tune for me. And something I like also is that he sings that, first um it's not even the first verse it's just like a little stanza that um people don't often play you know that people don't often sing that when uh when they do this song christmas future is far away christmas past is past christmas present is here today bringing joy that may last. And so just like a simple little intro, but musically, I think it really works. Uh, And it works really well with his voice. So that was my number four was James Taylor's rendition of have yourself a merry little Christmas. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I think it's a great add to the list and uh, James Taylor is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, he's, he's really excellent. I don't, I don't know if I have a James Taylor album on our list, which is a real shame. Uh, but no, oh well, maybe I can rectify that. Maybe we <laughs> still have time to squeeze a few in. There you go. Uh, what is, what is your number three? Uh, so going back to the well, I'm going to say uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year by Andy Williams. Uh, Andy Williams is a, a, pop artist that I think most people have forgotten about by and large, except for his Christmas work, uh, which is a shame because he's a very talented uh, vocalist. He was really good. Um, he had a, a live show for a bunch of years on TV, just 
a really, really talented individual. Uh, he recorded uh, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year as an original song um, to him uh, to be released on an album of Christmas cover music that he released in 1963, I believe. And the crime of it all is It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year was not released as a single by Columbia that year. Uh, the single was actually his cover of White Christmas, which flopped. Uh, and... Um, hmm. Uh, which is kind of funny since it made an appearance on your list. Uh, but the song is just phenomenal. Uh, it's one of the songs in this uh, list that has just a perfect choir kind of in the background doing this really cool vocal thing, uh, that they're just harmonizing with each other and not really contributing. It's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's just right. Uh, and it's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, it's it's a song that's basically talking about all the things that we love about Christmas, the roasting marshmallows, the, um, you know, talking about things with our families, uh, reading all these stories. I mean, it's just the type of thing that you want to be around uh, for, you know, for Christmas. So Andy Williams and It's a Most Wonderful Time of the Year is my number three on the list. That's a good pick. It's a solid pick. Is So you said he has a show. Is he the guy we typically think of in the Christmas special where he's like wearing the sweater and sitting on the couch in front of the, uh, the fireplace and he turned, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. Hi. So I'm Andy Williams, is that, is that the kind of show he had? So the Andy Williams show uh, was a variety show from 1962 oh, okay. to 1971. And so yeah. like it was late night before late night kind of thing. Um, and he had like regular musical performers on his shows. Um, you know, the Osmond brothers, Claudine Longett, uh, Bobby Darren, uh, Dick Van Dyke actually was launched on his show, which is kind of cool. No kidding. Um, did not know that. So yeah, just a, a really cool, not necessarily launch, but Dick Van Dyke was on his show all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike was famous by then, but just a really cool uh, show. He won a bunch of awards with it, and uh, it's just kind of a bummer uh, that we don't remember him as much for his contributions uh, over the years. Yeah, this is one of those songs that I have to be in the might the the might Ryan set. Uh, speaking of the right mindset, uh, because I have been. As, as we all have been, I have been in stressful uh, retail situations, let's say, where I'm like looking for that last ingredient that we need for some dish we're supposed to have for some get together. And this song comes on and it makes me want to lose my mind. Like if it comes on at home, it's like, oh, oh this is pleasant and nice. But there's something about the irony of being super frustrated in a store and hearing somebody proclaiming very loudly over the PA that it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> and so this song I either love or am enraged by. And so I'm glad it's on your list and I'm glad you're speaking so positively of it because I feel like my associations with it uh, are really like far flung to the poles, like either the North Pole where Santa is it's really great. Everything's good. Or, you know, South pole elf, like just 
furious at whatever dumb situation I happen to be in and piling that song on top of it. Cause it, it's a little corny. Wouldn't you? I mean, you can agree. It's like, it's got some of that sixties veneer on it. That's like a little schmaltzy. It's got the, the, the crooner thing going for it. That is Uh probably not, uh, not the greatest, uh, uh, thing for it. Um, it also, uh, are you familiar with, um, uh, John Mulaney, uh, the stand-up comedian? Yes. So he yes. has this bit, his bit about the salt and pepper diner where he and his uh, buddy uh, load up like 14 what's new pussycats by Tom Jones. And that's the problem yes. with this song. It's the opening has that same, like just abrupt, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Yeah. You could imagine and, that being in the jukebox like oh, yeah, 15 yeah, times yeah. and the patrons just going crazy trying to exactly. get it off. Especially at the wrong time of the year. So it does kind of have that vibe, but it's, it's only for a season. It's only for between Thanksgiving and Christmas and I'll get over it because it's the original and it's fun uh, in its own way. Uh, All right. So we're moving on to the number two spot on your list. Chris, tell me um, what is number two for you? So number two, uh, the, the song in the number two slot for me is white Christmas making its second appearance, but this time by Bing Crosby. Which is uh, the right version, by the way. Oh, yeah. Listening along. Oh, that's, that's why the other one is at number seven, and this one is at number two. Uh, every year, every year without fail, uh, except for, I think, last year because of COVID, boo, his COVID. Uh, but every year we get together, uh, my dad's side of the family, we all get together and we have... Uh, a Christmas Eve dinner with uh, tamales and quesadillas and chips and salsa and stuff and uh, engorge ourselves. And then on Christmas day, Uh we'll get together in the evening and have leftovers and watch Christmas movies. And White Christmas is the movie we watch every year. I have seen this movie probably every year of my life. Mm-hmm. That is not an exaggeration. Every year. And every year we gather around the TV and like put pillows on the floor, lay down and watch this movie and sing along with every word of this movie. I think almost all of us know all the, the lyrics to the songs. There are lines in it that are really good. Like White Christmas is, I think, like inarguably a fantastic Christmas like rom com mm-hmm. type movie. Uh Danny Kay is side splitting in this movie. Um uh Rosemary Clooney has a voice to beat the band. The dancing in this movie is phenomenal. Uh but White Christmas, of course, they close out the movie by singing the song. Mm-hmm. And it, this version makes me think of every time I've sat down with my family and watched this movie. Um, and it's, it is just the best. Uh, Bing Crosby is another, much like Nat King Cole, another crooner with a velvety voice. Mm-hmm. And I just can't get enough of it around Christmas time. I listened to his Christmas album quite a bit. Uh, I always skip Meli Kaliki Maka because it's 
the worst. That that unless that you're watching prob- Vegas or Christmas Vacation. Uh. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I I can I can put up with it on that because that movie is fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't really have even too much to say about it, just because it's all tied up in that memory of eating leftovers and falling asleep watching Christmas movies and this movie in particular. Yeah. So this is one of those, the, the movie uh, is based on the song and not vice versa Yeah, uh, for, yeah. for the record. Um, Bing Crosby recorded this song in um, actually, let me correct that. Bing Crosby performed this song live on a radio show in uh, November of 1941 and uh, a couple weeks after the attacks on Pearl Harbor in December, um, a recording of that uh, uh, performance started going out on radio waves as something he released. Uh, and then it wasn't until July the year after, 42, that he got together and recorded the version that we all know and love today um, at Decca Records. Um, <laughs> with Ken Darby singers and uh, I believe the John Scott Trotter uh, orchestra. Uh, And they recorded it in a grand total of 18 minutes, start to finish recording time in the studio. That's impressive. (laughs) And his, he's quoted as saying at the end of the recording to, um, to um, uh, the the writer Irving Berlin, uh, I think we've got that one. I don't think there are any problems with it. Yeah, and that's nailed like, it. Whoops! <laughs> in 18 minutes, you can barely get like sound checked, and oh just... man, it's so hard to do anything <laughs> musically in 18 minutes. It uh, everything takes forever, especially that's when so you have impressive. an orchestra and a choir, and then him. Well, it, and that's the thing that it's one of the ways in which I think, and I I won't go too long on this tangent. It's one of the ways in which music business has changed. And I won't say for the better or for worse because it's just different. The culture is different now, but Back then, everybody had the sheet music. Everybody had practiced. Mm-hmm. Everybody rehearsed. And so it really was a matter of like, okay, if we get in here and everybody is literally on the same literal page, all the director has to do or conductor or whoever is come in, kind of get things going. Mm-hmm. And you got a singer like Bing Crosby who knows his stuff. His background vocalists probably had been doing radio bits since radio was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so stuff like that is really cool to me because it's a very different time uh, than what radio is now. There was so much uh, performance and production. And, you know, it makes me think a concert band too, <laughs> you know, being a band nerd and having to like file in with my sheet music and stand to deliver. So that's pretty cool. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. So to kind of cap off uh, this song, uh, something that I thought was interesting is it spent 11 weeks at number one in 1942 um, and has gone on to sell more than 100 million copies worldwide. So it's the number one selling single of all time, the Bing Crosby editions. Uh, And interestingly, he didn't just record it in 1942 for real. He re-recorded it in 45, 1950, 1955, and 1970. And then after his passing, several additional recordings of it were re-released from like studio sessions over the years uh, in 83, 88, 89, and 98. 
So it's a gift that keeps on giving. Man, well, Bing Crosby is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> um, I I absolutely adore his music across his entire catalog, and this is just one of the great songs that he gave us. Um, so yeah. All right, uh, Wood. What is your second place, uh, second place Christmas tune on this uh, countdown here? Chris, I was surprised to learn that you had not heard this song uh, when it hit the list, and we had to listen to it before recording today, uh, because you are a self-ascribed Coldplay fanatic. Uh, I am indeed. And this song is from Coldplay at the height of Coldplay. And that's uh, Christmas Lights, uh, which came out in December of 2010. Uh, it was released as a digital download. It's only ever been a single. Uh, it falls in the Coldplay style alternative rock. Uh, and it is just, it is such a fun song. I mean, so far my list has basically been songs from you know, that window of 1945 to 1965, roughly. But this is one of those original songs that, you know, Chris Martin and the guys came together and put just something special together. Um, it was not something that came easy for them. Uh, they started working on this song, I believe, in December of 2008. And... Uh, worked all the way through, um, you know, to 2010, getting it just right. And it was documented in an episode of 60 Minutes, I believe, because uh, at the time, one of the uh, segment producers for 60 Minutes was following Coldplay around, and this was one of the projects they kept coming back to uh, during, you know, a year of being followed around by uh, uh, Steve Croft, the journalist. And it's just, to talk about the song, it has just that traditional Chris Martin piano kind of feel to it. It's very mid-tempo. It's not at all anything like the um, the Christmas music that you tend to think of. Uh, Coldplay did a whole lot. Their marketing department did a lot with like releasing hype videos for this. There was behind-the-scenes bits. There was little videos on YouTube. Uh, there's a really cool music video, which my first experience with this song was actually watching the music video for it. And it's just great. Um, so you don't have much to say about it. I wouldn't think, uh, other than having just listened to it. So what was kind of your first impression? Uh, well, I think one of the things that commends it, uh, as a Christmas song, we haven't really touched on, uh, some of the more serious aspects of Christmas for people because I think you and I are blessed with pretty good home lives and family relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I think in true cold, cold play fashion, they found a way to mope about Christmas a little <laughs> bit, uh, but that's good. You know, I, I, it's good that there is something out there that acknowledges that Christmas time is not always easy for everybody. Um, and you know, I, I didn't get a good read of all the lyrics, um, but it definitely has that sort of not necessarily melancholy. Isn't really the, 
right word. Uh, but it's got a little bit of like a sad, a sad tinge to it um, that I think just works because it's part of Chris Martin's like identity as a musician, right? Like always a little bit sad, those guys. Um, but I, I love the piano playing for one thing. Uh, you know, Chris Martin just writes when he's on, he's really on it. And this song was definitely just more of the same of that sort of not perfect, but just knows what he's about sort of sensibility as an artist. And to hear something like that also applied to like a Christmas lens is really cool. And I think he kind of wrote to his strengths with this song. It's definitely one that I want to listen to more and kind of put in regular rotation. Yeah, the the lyrics, as you uh, dive into them, you will find that they are pretty depressing um, in true Chris Martin fashion. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it basically the song's about, you know, a guy and his significant other getting into a fight and him going for a walk and reminiscing on when things were better and then looking to the Christmas lights as a way to guide him home to something better. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is no like happy ending or some sort of resolution. It's more contemplative. You know, you, you, you're left with the guy still out on the sidewalk with the Christmas lights leading him back. Uh, but it's just such a phenomenal song musically. I mean, it's, it's Coldplay at its best. And earlier this year we reviewed a Coldplay album and well, we reviewed two and one was from their all time, you know, probably one of their all time greatest albums. And then the next one was a new release and it was depressing as heck because it was not good at all. This <laughs> is more akin to the, the greatness that was Coldplay and not the recent just bummer. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Yeah. All right, Chris. So here's what we all came here for. The audience has been listening for an hour and a half as we've talked through our songs. We need to find out what is your number one song and why. Uh, so my number one Christmas song of all time is Christmas Time is Here by Vince Giraldi. Um, I love the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I don't know if it's that popular anymore uh, just because it probably for a lot of kids comes off as like a little stale, uh, you know, the animation style is not contemporary at all. Uh, but uh, in an effort to keep myself from getting derailed about that movie and why I really love it so much, Christmas time is here is kind of a perfect musical interpretation of all the things that we've kind of talked about. There's the sort of sentimental edge to the music, but there's also a um, surprising amount of melancholy, I think, just sort of hidden below the surface. Uh, not necessarily in the lyrics, because I think the lyrics are just mainly about kind of the excitement of, Christmas time. Basically every Christmas song is about like, we're excited because it's Christmas. Uh, but Vince 
Guaraldi, you know, he did all the, um, I don't know if it's Guaraldi or Giraldi. I'm going to say Giraldi. That's going to be the acceptable received pronunciation from now on. So I don't ping pong back and forth. Uh, he has a fantastic sense of melody. He's kind of an underrated jazz pianist. And it, he had a career outside of the music of Charlie Brown. Mm-hmm. But it, it goes kind of largely unrecognized, I think in part because the music that he wrote for Charlie Brown is so good. Yeah. Uh, but this is, this is the song that Megan and I know that Christmas time has arrived. Just like in the title, Christmas time is here. We know that once we're in the mood to start listening to Christmas music around the house, uh, we know that Christmas time is indeed here in full. We listen to this album more than probably any other Christmas album that we own because something about that music just captures like kind of the quietude of winter and the sort of introspection, certainly that Charlie Brown is constantly, you know, almost to an obsessive degree going over, but you know, that each of us kind of find ourselves in, in our own lives. And the children's choir that sings in the uh, soundtrack of this film is really quaint. They, they don't sound like kids who, you know, they're not like the Royal Albert Paul, Chris, you know, they're not like a bunch of kids who like all they have done is go to school for choir. Uh, and so it has this really sort of, quaint homeliness to it that I really love. And it's just, it, it sounds like everything about Christmas that I love kind of rolled into one package. Mm -hmm. That's, that's why it's my number one, uh, number one with a bullet. Uh, probably not the best. I guess that's the like Nakatomi Plaza (laughs) phraseology. (laughs) for uh, this discussion of Christmas songs, but it's my number one for sure. Awesome. Oh, all right. My number one. Let's talk about uh, this for a moment. Um, I did not grow up with this song. It was not in my lexicon of Christmas music. To my knowledge, it has never been in any films. Uh, It does not play at church. It's totally random and weird. And my introduction to it uh, was uh, through my wife, Tiffany, who uh, (laughs) grew up with it and has always loved it. And this is going to sound cheesy, but going back to sentimentality, it's the memories I have around her sharing this song with me for the first several dozen times are probably some of my most cherished memories. And I hope as I grow into an older person and as my memory starts to fade, I hope I remember the joy that was on her face as she shared this absolutely ridiculous song with me. Um, <laughs> this song is uh, Lou Monty's uh, song, Dominic the Donkey. <laughs> and most people have not heard it. I'm certain of it. Uh, it's a an Italian Christmas song 
that talks about the fact that uh, the reindeer can't navigate the the mountains of Italy, the Rocky Mountains of Italy. <laughs> so so Santa borrows Dominic the donkey from an Italian farmer to deliver all the 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 kids. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of lines like he pronounces the word the the name of the city Brooklyn is Brooklyn. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. it's such a great song um and it is hokey it is i mean maybe i shouldn't say it's such a great song it's such a great experience it is quintessentially 1960s just it was hokey in 1960 when it was released uh but it is so good-hearted and it tells um it tells a big portion of the story kind of from the donkey's point of view uh as well and when Tiffany and I uh, were dating, um, we weren't engaged yet, uh, but it was our, our first Christmas as a couple. And um, she put this on, on like my iPhone and put it on like repeat. And she sings along to every word of it. And she gets really into, there's a part where like the donkey is vocalizing through Lou Monty. So he's doing like this hee-haw, hee-haw yeah, thing. Yeah. And uh, it's just... <sighs> she is so excited about the song and she is the most like Christmassy person I've ever met. And um, the fact that this is the song that kind of defines the holiday to her just makes it the song that defines the holiday to me. Um, It was, Dude, that, uh, that is so good. It, uh, like genuinely, I, I love, Cause like Megan and I both really love Christmas mm -hmm. and, and it's something that we bonded over when we first got mm -hmm. married. And so it's fantastic that y'all have bonded over this song. Cause it is silly. It is so funny. And it, I, I don't, I have heard this song on the radio. I'm so, pretty sure. I think our Christmas radio station plays it, but that is fantastic that you guys both, like have an experience with this song. So this song uh, has had a reoccurrence of popularity. It, um, it hit number one on the BBC radio charts in 1960, the year it was released. Um, and then in 2011, uh, it became a Twitter craze uh, in the UK to try and get this song back to number one because they were trying to break a Guinness record for longest time between uh, reaching number one for a song of any kind. And it actually did hit number one in December of 2011 on the UK charts. And since then it's kind of enjoyed a renaissance among um, like it was featured in a, a 2018 episode of family guy. Um, it's like, it, it it has had a lot of fame here recently. It's just one of those songs that uh, has been with her for forever. And uh, it's just one of those little things that just make me smile uh, when I hear it and seeing the memory of her face, sharing it with me. Uh, she really gets into it. She dances along with it. It's just, it's such a, it's such a fun experience. So. Dude, that's uh, awesome. That's I love it. That. Well, all righty, folks, uh, if you're still with us, uh, we've made it through uh, both of our top 10 lists, so 20 total tracks. 
Uh, instead of giving you a full synopsis of each one of those, I'm just going to point to the show notes and say both lists are there. In addition to that, I've put together a playlist on Spotify, which you can click onto and listen to these tracks and uh, have some fun with them. Uh, if you're interested in hearing what we think the ideal Christmas music is, uh, before we leave you this week, uh, we need to address uh, what we will be doing next week by going to visit the Oracle. Chris, uh, what what do you got for us? Well, uh, the Oracle, in true holiday fashion, is on vacation visiting an aunt in Cleveland. Uh, the Oracle, if y'all did not know, is from Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, so she goes up North to visit in Cleveland, uh, having lived near Cleveland, I can say, I hope that she packed some warm clothes. Uh, but anyway, that leaves us free to do whatever we desire. So, uh, I guess we need to pick what it is we desire to do. I think next week we should definitely cover best movie soundtracks. Uh, and let's bring five each to that. Uh, just because and these I'm are sure Christmas we, movies, right? Not yes, just five yes. favorite soundtracks. Christmas movies, and I will give extra points if you can make your movies not have music from your list. Ooh, what what, what is the prize if I win more points than you? I don't know. You'll have more points than me. Oh man, you, you I don't get like a roll of tickets to take up I and trade like, in for like, like it's, a Stretch Armstrong or something. Yes, Laffy Taffy. Um, uh, I feel like I already could figure out what your number one movie soundtrack is based on how much you talked about White Christmas. Uh, you could probably get three <laughs> out of five of them off of this list. So uh, I just think it'll be I fun. Will, I will I will do some looking because there are I I love Christmas movies uh and there are a lot of good ones out there that have fun music so uh I'm I am up to the challenge for sure. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh Chris, I had a great time getting to hang out with you tonight and talk about the holidays and I'm looking forward to getting to continue this conversation over the next couple of weeks as we get into Christmas. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening this week. We hope you've been enjoying our show and that you too are getting into the holiday spirit in all the ways that really matter. Uh, be sure to reach out to us. If you've got anything that you want to, uh, to get covered, we would love to, uh, to interact with you rate and review this show on your podcatcher of choice. And, uh, maybe one of these days we'll read your uh, reviews on the air. Chris, take us home. Absolutely. Uh, if you guys do want to get in touch with us, go ahead and shoot us an email at two dudes and tunes at gmail.com. That's two dudes and tunes at gmail.com all spelled out. No numerals, just uh, lowercase letters. And don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know if, uh, you liked our picks or if some of them make your teeth great whenever you're doing that last minute Christmas shopping. Uh, and don't forget to be good for goodness sake. We'll see you guys next week. I've been bad all year and now Christmas is near, but I still got a week or two to do a little bit of good in this old backwood. Yeah. Before Santa is here. 
Cussing and drinking and laying around Eating burgers and talking rude But if I turn it around Will those presents be found? Yeah, underneath that Christmas tree Underneath that Christmas tree Christmas miracle do Took my black downtown To keep the GHGs down Gave my money to Amnesty And if you give me a gift On the 25th door What a good boy I'll be What a good boy I'll be Getting older Ho, 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 ho I still just can't do nothing right Rudolph, you said Cause I'm treating you bad Santa's pissed I ain't making a list yet Christmas is just days away I could still turn things around, right? Bring those presents to me Thank you.